0: Amen. Thank you for that. And uh, choir and Tiffany and all our musicians this morning for the music. We want to turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. If you haven't been with us, we've been looking at these letters that are written to seven churches. They're real places, real churches that existed with real messages to their particular needs, which also speak beyond Scripture to churches like them down through time uh, and individuals like them down through time. Uh, the seven churches are on the map, choir, it goes like that, congregation, it goes like that, arcing clockwise uh, around the region of western Turkey to us, Asia to the New Testament. And we've looked at Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum. And this morning we come to what we usually say as Thyatira. It's a weird thing when you come out of uh, the Greek New Testament, the, the Greek language into English. Their upsilon, which is like a U, is transliterated as a Y in English. I don't know who came up with that. It doesn't make sense, but that's what they do. So the the name is really Thuatira, uh, but it comes out Thyatira in English. And so we'll go with the English this morning. And so these letters, be mindful, this is not the Apostle John's message to these churches. He's just passing it. He's the mailman. And what we're looking at here are the Lord's messages to these churches. It's though Jesus has a specific message for each of the seven individual churches and uh, communicates to us through them. So chapter 2, verse 18 begins, as most of the letters do. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this... Son of God is, remember John is involved in the, the writing of this, the communicating of this for the Lord to the churches. But John, when he writes his gospel, John is the champion of that title for Jesus, the Son of God. It is the maximum deity title for Jesus. And here it shows up. It's not in each of the seven letters, but it, those vary. But here in this fourth one, it's the Son of God says these things to you. Now at Thyatira... The uh, religious structure, was set, it was a strange kind of setting. They were into guilds or labor unions or groups of trades. And you might have some that worked with animals and some that made this and some that made that and had different trades. And for each trade or each craft that was out there, there was a local deity. And they would make offerings to that deity for their trade. Uh, whatever they made. Uh, if they made wheels, they'd, they'd make offerings to the wheel god if they were wheel makers. And somehow they perceive that as somehow bringing blessing to them. And so the little local subculture of Thyatira is built around that mindset. We went about 11 months ago on that trip from Scotland to England. Uh, through church history sites. And any good trip to Scotland is going to take you to Edinburgh. And any good trip to Edinburgh is going to take you to St. Giles. It's not really a cathedral, but it's called St. Giles Cathedral. And it's on the Royal Mile there. It's a very, very famous church where a lot of incredible things in church history occurred. But there was a time in the early 1500s, if you went in there, you would find different booths set up around the cathedral for the different trades of Scotland at the time. And each booth would have two priests assigned to it. And if you were a barrel maker or you were a printer or whatever your craft was, you would go find the appropriate booth for your trade. And there you would make offerings to the church and those guys would pray for you and your business. The same thing the Thyatirans were doing a long time before. It was under the umbrella of the church in that time, but it was still strange. John Knox, the great reformer, came along and said, "And no, we're not doing that anymore. That's crazy. We'll pray to the Lord for his blessing on the totality of our lives instead of uh, going to some priest and paying a bribe prayer to get some prayer to bless your business as though you're going to manipulate God through the process. And so that ended at St. Giles. And the church continues on today as a viable church. But John starts out here with a description of these letters coming from the Son of God. And there's a contrast for the Thyatirans between their little petty gods, these demigods, these false gods that permeate their business system there with the one true God, the glory of Christ. And there's that description that's borrowed from chapter 1 of what he looks like in all of his glory. In verse 19, he says, I know your deeds and your love, And faith, and service, and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than your first. Wow, don't you want to join that church? Doesn't that sound like a good church? Uh, It is a good church. It's got some problems there, but a lot of good things. And so what he's going to say to correct them is preceded by all these commendable things about that church, like a lot of good Baptist churches today, a lot of good things going on. But if you really knew everything, you'd say, but there's some things that need to be addressed. Maybe in some individuals' hearts, maybe in the church in general. uh, But the message comes down I know. I know all of your works. I know your attitudes and your faith and your love. I know how you've persevered. I know. Jesus knows this morning everything about us. That's intimidating, isn't it? That can be frightening, it can be encouraging. There's nothing going on with you this morning that Jesus doesn't know all about. He knows what you think better than you know what you think. He discerns where your spirit is and what your real needs are. So Jesus says, Thyatyrans, I know. I know where you're at. I know your particular needs. I know how to help you. I know how to convict you and encourage you and and cleanse you and guide you to a profitable future. But I have this against you, verse 20. There's there's a problem. I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. There's a problem, uh, Thyatirans. You got a good church. You got a lot of activity. It looks really good. Uh, somebody shows up and visits, and we got visitors this morning. Show, hey, look, man, this looks good, but there's something going on I, I need to talk to you about. It's the Jezebel problem. Now, Jezebel is a character of the Old Testament, she's the worst of the women of the Old Testament. Uh, she is uh, not good. And she, there's probably not literally a woman by that name in Thyatira that's being addressed here. But something's going on with some prophetess or some false prophetess that's there in Thyatira. And Jesus, true John, takes this label from the Old Testament Jezebel and tags her with that. Now, if you go back, you can't disconnect the Old Testament from the New Testament. Uh, And out of the Old Testament comes this story in the days of Elijah. A lot of great prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah and Daniel. uh, But probably the strongest and greatest of the prophets was Elijah. It's Elijah that's on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and Moses. Uh, Elijah's a a great, there's no book of Elijah. There's the book of Kings that tells us about Elijah. But in Elijah's day... Jezebel, who was not an Israelite, she's from up in Phoenicia on the coast, what we would call Lebanon today. She marries the king of the northern kingdom of Israel and lives in Samaria with him. And she brings all of her idolatry from Phoenicia, the old Canaanite idolatry. She brings that to Israel. And because of her influence as queen, it begins to weave into the fabric of the character and the spiritual life of the nation. And it's disastrous. And all of a sudden in this uh, northern part of old Israel, there you have all these priests of Baal, false worship going on all around. And at uh, the mountain ridge that runs along the southern ridge of the Jezreel Valley near Megiddo and Armageddon, there in that setting the prophet Elijah has his showdown with the prophets of Baal. And you probably know the story, and the fire comes down, it, it will, they can't get their their altar to ignite, uh, and Elijah prays, and his lightning comes down, and his altar's consumed, and, and God's confirming, affirming the ministry of Elijah. And all the people see the contrast between the the foolishness of the prophets of Baal and the spiritual authority of Elijah. And everybody's opinion has changed and they take the prophets of Baal uh, down into the creek valley that runs along Jezreel there and the prophets of Baal are slain. Whoa, what a day. Well, imagine, uh, it's hard to imagine a day like that. The clash of two cultures and two religions and, and Elijah prevails man he's he's on a pedestal he's he's something else and then Jezebel comes along Jezebel who's brought in all those prophets of Baal and she says I'll fix you Elijah you think you've won you may have, you may have won today but I will prevail and you're in trouble and I'm coming for you and Elijah goes from this holy boldness to intimidation and fear it's amazing We see ourselves in Elijah at that point. And he turns and he heads south, goes 40 days south all the way down into the Sinai, down to Jabal Musa, the mountain of Moses, uh, to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, all the same thing. He climbs the mountain where Moses had climbed years before, where Moses had received the Ten Commandments. And he goes down there to get away from Jezebel and to hear from God. And God says, Elijah, what are you doing down here? Are you going to let Jezebel run you off after that showdown with the prophets of Baal? Elijah, what are you doing down here? And Elijah, of course, returned. One of the great prophets, one of the great characters of the Old Testament. But out of that story comes Jezebel. And she brings all that pagan religion into the Israelite culture and Jesus says to the Thyatirans in the New Testament age, you've got a Jezebel there among you. And she's teaching and she's leading my bondservants, my faithful followers to immorality, partaking of things sacrificed to idols. There's an unaddressed issue of someone who is uh, spiritually way out there. And Thyatiran church all those good things can be said about you, but you must address that. You can't just overlook that and not deal with it. It's sort of the reverse of the Ephesian church. If you were here several weeks ago, you may remember the Ephesians and their theology, their doctrine. They were airtight, rock solid. They were strong. Their problem was they'd lost their first love. So their theology is strong. Their heart's just weak. The Thyatirans are Uh, The flip of that, Uh, they're zealous, they're excited, they're doing all kinds of things, they're active, but they've let theology be corrupted by this bad influence. And Jesus says it must, it must be addressed, it must be dealt with. He says, I gave her, Jezebel, or whoever this modern day Jezebel is, I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her immorality. There's no visible or knowable change in that that's going on in your church. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her, this is spiritual unfaithfulness, uh, into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. The ship is going to sink with Jezebel unless the ship does something about Jezebel. Great warning from the Lord to this particular church. Something's not right Something's seriously wrong. Verse 23, and this, I know what this is going to sound like. You got to put it back in context and understand what Jesus is saying. He says, I will kill her children with pestilence. What he means there is her spiritual children. All those that are descendants of that theology, they're going down with the ship. And they will be killed with death is what he literally says. Uh, I will kill them with death and all the churches will know that I am... Now, John, if you read the Gospel of John, you know what you're looking at. John is the great book of the I ams. You remember Moses got the word when he wanted to know what do I call you when I go into Egypt, Lord? What, what do I? He says, you tell him I am, since you. John picks up on that and he weaves it throughout the Gospel. I am. And Jesus repeatedly says, I am. The way. I am the truth. I am the door. I am the shepherd. I am. It's the it's very ego a me. It's very common in the book of John. Here it shows up in Revelation. And he says, All the churches will know that ego a me, I am. It's a strong personal pronoun. That I am. It's like Jesus is pointing to himself as he said, I am the one searching. Now, what is he searching? The NAS says the minds and hearts. So it does the NIV. You know what it literally says? It says, I am the one searching kidneys and hearts. Now we know that those are symbols for us, just like we use heart all the time. We've ceased to use kidney as a, a symbol of something about our spirits or our hearts. But that's what he says. I am the one searching kidneys and hearts. We have... Uh, One nephrologist is a member of this church. And some of you go to a nephrologist, and that's a kidney doctor, right? He says, searching the nephros, or nephrus, in this place. Uh, Searching the kidneys. Uh, Some of you uh, go to a cardiologist for your heart problems. And uh, Jesus is the one searching cardias here, and cardiology. And cardiologist comes from that word, Both of those are just symbols to talk about. Jesus is not worried about your vital signs this morning. He knows your vital signs. Uh, You don't need to go by the ER this morning and and check all that, I don't think. Uh, He said, I'm searching your innermost being. That's the point. I am the one, the churches will know, when they see what I do to Jezebel and what, uh, what she's leading astray, when that judgment comes down, the churches will know I'm in charge and I am the one searching what's on the inside of every individual. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. We call time out quick uh, for clarification. Nobody goes to heaven because of your deeds. You cannot merit salvation. You can't do enough nice things. You can't do a good deed daily as the Boy Scouts used to do. I remember all the pictures of the scout with leading the little old lady across the street and holding back traffic. And you can't do enough of those kind of things to get into heaven. It doesn't work. There's not enough merit that you can merit to get there. That's not Jesus' point. You get to heaven by the grace of God through the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty for you. But Jesus is saying to the Thyatiran church and to us by way of Scripture, it does matter what you do with your life. Having been saved by grace through faith, it does matter what you do with your life. And Jesus says, I know you deeds." I know what's going on, I know how you think, I know how you feel, I know how you talk, I know how you talk about other people, I know what you dream, I, want, I know what you live for, I know what's important to you, I search your innermost being, and he says, and I will give to you, it's sort of doubly said, it's, it's strong, I will give to you, to each one of you, according to your works, I'm going to bless you according to what you do with your life. Now, that's not a prosperity gospel thing. Don't don't take that to the bank tomorrow morning. He's not talking about dollars and cents here. He's saying, the Lord, the God of Israel, this is from Samuel, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, those who honor me, I will honor. Jesus is saying that to the Thyatirans. If you will honor me with your life, I will bless and honor you in ways that will be better than what money can buy. I will repay you according to your deeds. Your investment in the cause of Christ, your living for Jesus, your endeavors to honor the Lord and everything in your life, that is not in vain. That's not a waste of time. You will reap what you sow in due season. And Jesus says, I will give to you according to what's going on into your life. I will bless you accordingly. But I say to you, to the rest, now he says, I'll say, and he gives five ways he describes the target of this message. it says, I will say to you, that is, to the rest, that is, to the ones in Thyatira, that is to the ones who hold do not hold this teaching, Jezebel's teaching. That is to those who do not know the deep things of Satan, as they say. Though to those people, I cast no other burden on you. To those people, here's the good news. Uh, I'm going to bless you according to your good deeds. I'm going to honor that. And you will be glad that you live for me. You will find blessing. And I say to those of you uh, in Thyatira, to the rest of you, all the rest of you that that haven't participated in these things, well, I want you to know uh, that I'm not going to put another burden on you. Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. Uh, this is not going to be a burdensome thing to follow Jesus. You live consistently for Jesus, you will find that life works for you. Doesn't mean you get everything you want or that you don't have pain and hardship and crises along the trail, but it will basically go well for you. And in eternity, it will go very well for you. And he says, There's not going to be a burden to obedience to the cause of Christ. There may be a price to be paid, but you will understand that it's worth it to live for Jesus. He talks about the deep things of Satan. Uh, That can be taken a couple of ways in verse 24. The deep things of Satan, uh, those could be realities. and And Jesus can be saying through John here, Uh, I'm not going to burden you as long as you don't go into the the depths of things that are satanic, things that are wicked or evil. If you don't plunge to that level. Or he can be saying, uh, I'm going to bless you as long as you don't participate in the so-called deep things of Satan. Now, when John writes his letters and his gospel late in the first century and revelations written a little bit after that, the Gnostic movement is on the rise uh, and it's very clear from John's other writings that he's addressing the Gnostic philosophy of the day which was bizarre, sort of a non-material, everything material is evil, everything spiritual is good and you you just need to get real mystical was their game and uh, we we, we just get into the spirit and we find these deep things and you can do anything you want to in your physical life uh, but as long as you're deep and And John may be playing off of that or Jesus addressing that, that the deep things, the so-called deep things. The deep things of evil are only deep in that they can destroy your life. And so Jesus comes to the Thyatirans who have this something going on in this good church. They've got something going on that needs to be addressed. And he says, for those of you that are not a part of that, that are endeavoring year by precious year to live in Christian victory to you, I will bring blessing, I will honor that, and you will be glad that you followed me. Don't follow that track. Nevertheless, verse 25, last verse of the passage, and tonight we're going to come back to this same letter and do the rest of it and pick up with verse 25. But verse 25, he says, Nevertheless, what you have the things that have been given to you, the spiritual good things that have been given to you, your salvation, uh, the word of God, the the truth that you abide, the, the abiding Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, these things that you have, hold fast to until I come. Cling to these things. And I tell you this morning, we need to get up out of our pews and go home, holding fast to the things of the Lord. And if you don't, The Jezebelian philosophies out there will rob you of the spiritual truth of God's word and his blessing for your life. Nevertheless, hold on, hold fast to these things. It's the idea of clinging to these things. Don't let the the world rob you of your walk with Jesus. Hold fast is the message to the Thyatirans. You're surrounded, boy. What's going on in Thyatira and in the surrounding Asian culture that day? All kind of kooky, crazy things, just like you got on your computer and all those little pads you're looking at all day. It's all out there to destroy your spirit this morning. And Jesus comes speaking to this church, and by way of this letter to our church and our people and our hearts, hold fast to the good things. Hold fast to the true things that you dare not, dare not miss what God has for you. Finish well is the message of Jesus to the Thyatirans. This Jezebel, whoever she is, she may keep you from finishing well. You need to commit this morning to finishing well for Jesus. Some of you just finished high school and some of you are in grade school and some of you are further along in life. But you need to commit yourself, your heart this morning to the, to the finishing well of your Christian calling and say, I will finish well for Jesus. I will, at the end of my story, finish well. Some sad stories in current events in Baptist life today of, of guys who gave great contribution of their lives to the cause of Christ and did amazing things and... Boy, right here and, and the closing chapters or days of their lives didn't finish well. And Jesus is saying, finish well, Thyatirans. Finish well, Georgians. I got a bunch of pictures and things. Uh, I probably brought this one before. Show it to the choir first. choir special you get to see first. Uh, the picture is of a very old man and a young boy at his feet. And the old man in the picture is Bede, B E D E, Bede. And Bede was an Englishman, and he lived, uh, he's honored and buried in Durham, England. If you went on that trip last summer, we went to uh, the amazing Durham Cathedral. And up behind the front altar is Cuthbert's grave. Cuthbert led the Lindisfarne Mission Station that evangelized England. And he's revered and respected and honored and buried at the front end of that church. If you go all the way to the far south end of that cathedral, or the east end of that cathedral, you go into another big room that's kind of off the path, and back in there is the tomb of Bede, the venerable Bede. And v- venerable just means respectable or honorable, worthy of great respect. And it really became his other name. We don't know if if he's got two names. But in church history, he's known as the Venerable Bede. The Venerable Bede is the historian that gives us our English history from that time frame. And if you learned about Angles and Saxons and Jutes and all that stuff in history coming into England, or what we call England today, uh, that's where you get it. It starts with Bede telling those stories. If you study church history in the Middle Ages, you're going to get a lot of it from the venerable Bede. He's an amazing historian, but he was also a Bible commentator, and he wrote about the Bible, and he blessed a lot of people with that in his day. The picture I just showed you is not just Bede talking to a young guy. That's the venerable Bede on his deathbed. He hasn't got long to go. And you know what the venerable Bede did on his deathbed? He translated the book of John out of Latin into the old, old English language of that time frame. He dies serving the Lord. He dies trying to get God's word into the minds and hearts of the English people. He finished well. Now, probably most of you can't. Translate from Latin to English, and you don't need to be a Bible translator. Uh, you don't need to duplicate or repeat the life of the venerable bead. But when you come to your deathbed or the end of your story and your biography is down to the last couple of pages, what do you want to be found doing? And Jesus is saying through the thyatirans to us, finish well, finish well. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get stupid in your last days. Finish well for Jesus. You can do that. You can commit to that recommit to that this morning. Don't live 80 years for Jesus and blow it at 85 or 90 or something on your death. Live for Jesus so that as you approach that glorious transition, that bridge from this life to the next, it'll just be, it just gets better and better and better as you approach the throne of your Savior. And Jesus says here to the Thyatyrans, I'll, I'll honor that. I will bless that. I know your deeds. I know your hearts. And I will honor those who honor me. Finish well for Jesus. Bow with me in prayer if you will, please. Father, uh, we know uh, that you love us, that you understand us, and you know our needs. You know our motives. You know our everything about our character. We remember the, the words of the Lord Jesus in the upper room. He said... If I go, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And this morning we pray, anticipating a day when you will come again and receive us into your presence. Lord, may it be that we in our lives, even to the very end, are found doing that which is pleasing in your sight. Purposeful for the kingdom, advancing the cause of Christ. Lord, we are reminded that every day from you is a gift. And we are stewards of every day that you entrust to us. Help us to live well. Help us to live for you. Help us to live in the victory we have in Christ Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.